incorporating methods of slow living and, and really being mindful about the way that we walk through the world will always come back to bring more health and more uh, healing, not only to ourselves, but also to our communities. You're listening to the Good Dirt Podcast. This is a place where we dig into the nitty gritty of sustainable living through food, fashion, and lifestyle. And we're your hosts, Emma and Mary Kingsley, the mother and daughter founder team of Lady Farmer, a slow living apparel and lifestyle brand. We started this podcast as a means to further share the wealth of information and quality conversations that we're having constantly in our world as we dream up and deliver ways for each of us to live into the new paradigm, one that is regenerative, balanced, and whole. We want to put the microphone in front of the voices that need to be heard the most right now, the farmers, the dreamers, the designers, and the doers. Come cultivate a better world with us. We're so glad you're here. Now let's dig in. Good morning, Emma. How are things? They're pretty good. Um, It's been a really difficult past few weeks for basically the whole world and especially our country, but... um, Throughout all the hurt and the pain, I'm really feeling hopeful for uh, moving forward and healing, and I'm really excited about the part that we can play in that and talking about regeneration in all forms um, and healing. So, but yeah, I mean, besides that, it's like summer is here all of a sudden. Yes, and I'd, I'd really like to echo your concerns and hope for healing. And it's really hard to believe that after all this, uh, we're only a week away from the summer solstice. Um, it's like every year I have the same feeling. There's all this anticipation and planning for the growing season, prepping, planting the garden, work really hard. And when's it going to come? When's it going to get warm? And then all of a sudden it's the solstice and the season is already turning. So maybe maybe the season is turning for our country as well. Let, let's hope. Let's hope it is. <laughs> yeah, that's a really beautiful way to think about it. Um, and also at the same time, you know, we're all kind of, it's like things are opening up at least uh, this time around. I don't know if they'll be closing again. No, no one knows anything, but at least now it's sort of like the quarantine um, lockdown seems to be lifting a bit. And, you know, we're able to at least spend time outside and spend time in some spend time with people in small groups. Um, so that's also feeling hopeful. Yeah. And it's like, we're all sort of tiptoeing out of it. Um, little by little. So we'll see where this goes, but for today, as we enter the zenith of summer, especially in this extraordinary year when the quest for health and healing in every realm, physical, emotional, and spiritual are front and center in the concerns of the world, we bring you this episode on the marvelous and magical world of herbs. Yes, we're so excited to present the Herb Girls. Uh, Eileen and Amy are good friends of ours. Eileen is actually one of my best friends. We lived together for three years in college, and so we really did a lot of growing up together and 
Um, I remember her, the very beginnings of her love of herbs and health in the natural world. And um, she's a brilliant artist. She's also did all of the herb illustrations in our Guide to Slow Living. Um, if you have that book already, if you don't, you can get it on our website. And with Amy, they founded the Herb Girls just a few years ago. And they do such a wonderful job of making herbs and herbalism accessible to the layman who might not, you know, know anything or feel intimidated about about the healing world of herbs. And this is just such a wonderful conversation. It was so easy and fun and they're really funny. Um, I really enjoyed speaking with them. Yes, it, it was so informative and they expressed things with such clarity. Um, in this discussion, we're going to be talking about, among other things, um, herbs and their role in reclaiming our personal health and the role of plant medicine as both an alternative and an ally to allopathic and pharmaceutical approaches. Um, we're going to talk about sustainability, responsible sourcing of herbs for commercial use, supply and demand during the COVID crisis, and key herbs for times of food scarcity. So we cover a lot. Yeah, we're really excited and we hope you enjoy the episode. All right, so I'm Eileen, and I started studying herbs right after college. I grew up with quite a bit of health issues in the digestive realm. I always had, um, you know, stomach aches, and as a kid, you just kind of think that stomach aches are normal, but it, you know, was diagnosed as IBS when I was in fourth grade, which is basically doctor's ways of saying, we don't really know what's wrong with you, but you have irritable bowel syndrome. Um, but that kind of led me down a dark path of having eating disorders and having this weird love-hate relationship with food because I grew up in, you know, a large Italian family that loves to cook and loves to eat. But then if everything you eat causes you pain, it's a pretty like frustrating existence. So um, herbs are a little bit of a last, last refuge. And in fact, I, I truly think that the first time I started looking at these alternative modalities of healing was um, Emma. Okay. And so background info, Emma and I were BFF roommates in college. And Emma, yeah. do you remember that book you had um, on Ayurveda that was like your mom's and it had a picture of a human body on the cover? Was it um, the Deepak Chopra one? Yes, that one where you like oh fill out the gosh. little quiz. So I remember everything about the day that I found that book. I remember reading it on my bed in Johnson, that horrible little dorm that was also quite <laughs> enchanting. Um, Are you saying you stole my book, Eileen? <laughs> And it changed your life. Um, I actually. I'm just kidding. I think I, I told did. you to read it. Yeah, you did because you were kind of like going with me on that journey. But anyways, that was the beginning of me making a connection between, okay, health is also contained in, you know, the thoughts I'm having and the foods I'm eating. And so I was so blown away by Ayurveda and, and all it had to offer. Um, but then after that, I got into a permaculture program in Asheville, and there was an herbalist course, and I just immediately fell in love. Like, to me, herbalism is the perfect fusion of 
ecology, which I studied in college and, you know, the nature that I loved playing in as a kid with health um, in the form of these plants that not only heal the planet, but also heal our bodies because we are all one. And that um, led me to an herbal program that I did at the Blue Ridge School of Herbal Medicine. I was an apprentice there. It's a great, you know, um, course on herbs and yeah, that was really my intro to herbs. And I'm, I'm absolutely persuaded that if I hadn't have found that I would be, I would be a mess today. And what about you, Amy? So my dive into herbs started in traditional Chinese medicine. I have had my own kind of issues with chronic diseases and illnesses, really my claim to fame not anymore, thank goodness, was chronic migraines and um, major hormone disruption. And I went through lots of different, um, you know, Western practices, and, and there's definitely a time and place for all of that. But uh, the thing that really, I'm going to say, healed me was, um, yeah, getting acupuncture. And and I found, you know, the game changer was actually the the herbs that was prescribed to me. And I was blown away at how efficiently it all worked and how I went from going from, you know, eight weeks at a time with one migraine to just, you know, being blown out of the water of how quickly my migraines were, one, going away, and then two, how long the periods were between getting migraines to now. It's been many years since I've had any. So um, it just was such a powerful testimony to myself, I guess, <laughs> to see that happen within myself. And um, it made me dive into traditional Chinese medicine and acupuncture specifically, and just get interested in the herbs around me. And so I was doing that for, you know, quite a few years before I met Eileen. And then I met Eileen and she and I just started to nerd out over herbs. And I knew maybe a little bit more on like the meridians and, and maybe more so the, the traditional Chinese kind of philosophy and model. But um, Eileen brought all this knowledge to me for all the herbs that she had learned about and more of like Western herbalism. And so I'm studying under Patricia Howell at Botanologos and um, kind of getting more of a broader, more foundational knowledge instead of all of the home knowledge that I've kind of done myself. So I'm really um, enjoying that thus far. And I think that's kind of how Herb Girl started. Wouldn't you say so, Eileen? Yeah, that was very well said. And I think the um, the culminating event of when we, you know, decided to make this a business was Amy and I would get together and film ourselves cooking in the kitchen and infusing our meals with you know medicinal herbs because you know we grow up in a world where herbs are always just a garnish that you don't even actually eat but ancestors for years and years have been incorporating herbs not as a separate remedy but as a part of their daily diet and so anyways we would film ourselves cooking with herbs and we have a silly video of us um making making dandelion salad and quickles and acting like we're Food Network stars. And that was kind of when we came up with the name Herb Girls. And then we realized that we really wanted to reconnect this awesome knowledge that's just not in the limelight, although it's increasingly so these days. But we wanted to, you know, connect with the community and teach them about simple at-home remedies and decoctions and tinctures they can make. So we started holding workshops in our 
little little city of Athens, Georgia, which is really receptive to things like that, um, supporting small business. And yeah, we started to see a connection between, you know, or at least in our lives, we saw reflected that the the state of the earth was also reflected in the state of our bodies. And once we started to take care of our bodies, we became more aware of, you know, the state of the earth and how to take care of the earth in like a sustainable and um, in with more awareness and intentionality. And so we felt like that was kind of missing in the community. And it was a passion of both mine and Eileen's to not only help empower people to understand their own bodies and to utilize these herbs in these kind of more traditional ways of eating food and, and preparing food, which we'll get into into a bit, but also what that does for the environment around us. So learning about how you can step out your back door and possibly find some uh, remedies for things, um, I think is a super empowering and exciting uh, prospect for people. I guess the danger is that people will expect that herbs will be act like pharmaceuticals, like, oh, I'll just take this herb and I'll get better. So right. I know it's it's more than that. So how do you, you know, how do you convey that to the your your people? Yeah. So I'm glad you said that because people do treat herbalism like it's Western medicine and it's absolutely not. It has a totally different paradigm. And one of the things that Amy and I want to be really clear with um, and what we do is that we don't want to take the place of doctors. I have so much respect for doctors and the Western medical model is brilliant what what our healthcare system can do. But our healthcare system gets constrained when um, we lose sight of the day-to-day things that we can do to maintain good health, to keep us from getting into chronic states where we need you know, um, a lifeline in the form of a pharmaceutical and whatnot. So I think in the current, you know, there's a lot of heated debates today and a lot of people um, on either side of the fence, whether it's really super into, super into herbalism or super into Western medicine. And the truth is that together we are better. So like together they can really, really accentuate each other and work together. But um, it's a shame that there's all of these weird feelings sometimes um, with regards to like herbalism versus pharmaceuticals, if that makes sense, because they, they, they both serve a place. There are pharmaceuticals that, you know, have their place in in our lives 100%, and we definitely do advocate for that, like what Eileen was saying, but it is a tendency in, to for people to think about herbs like that in an allopathic model, but Eileen and I, with every workshop that we do, every talk that we do at a conference, we're very... Um, intentional about trying to tell people that there is a different model that incorporates, you know, more than just a symptom and a remedy, that instead it's really about looking at the body in a holistic approach and uh, looking at the body as a whole is what I mean. And we do that with both food and herbs. And so I think it all started out with herbs. And then we realized that no matter how much we focused on the herbs, nothing was actually going to remedy itself and kind of rectify itself without also incorporating a balanced lifestyle and healthy diet. And that's kind of how we got into the nutritional therapy model. You had the the herbal part before you became nutritional therapists, correct? I guess I thought in my head that you were herbalists first and then, wait, that you, other way around. 
Yeah. So, no, we were both, um, like Amy was saying, she was apprenticing with acupuncturist and getting really into Chinese herbal medicine. Meanwhile, I'm in a herbal apprenticeship program, learning all about how these um, herbs, herbs, how these herbs affect different organ systems and then being like, wait, wait a minute, this, um, this can't be the ultimate, you know, you have to address the foundation of food and lifestyle. And mind you, at that time, um, at the beginning of my herbal program, they said no one's here um, without an issue. So, you know, if you want to be an herbalist, you really can't heal others until you heal yourself. And so we were all drawn to this program, like many herbalists are drawn to being herbalists. It's because they have an issue that hasn't been resolved from the Western medical model and they seek alternative sources. So I remember that um, my teacher, my herbal mentor saying that so clearly because at that time I was very much into the vegetarian lifestyle. Um, you know, I vilified meat eaters and dairy and all these things because it was inflammatory. But meanwhile, I'm having like terrible digestive issues and I'm learning all about these awesome herbs, but I'm realizing like, wow, there is so much more to just taking an herb to solve your ailments in that allopathic model. Like Amy was mentioning, you have to address it holistically, including the diet and the lifestyle. So as you got into nutrition therapy, what were some of the big learnings that you were having about, about food that challenged your previous beliefs and practices? Yeah, Eileen, do you mind if I jump in? I want you to. Okay, perfect. Yeah, so uh, nutritional therapy was uh, such a paradigm shift for me, and it was a very challenging one because all the things that they were teaching us were working, and also it was going so wholeheartedly against all the things that I believed in because like Eileen was just mentioning for herself, I was a vegetarian for a long time, about six years or so, and then I was a vegan for about a year previous to going to nutritional therapy. And I was incorporating herbs, but I still was having a lot of issues. Um, mainly, I was having huge issues with um, adult cystic acne, and also my cycle was just insane. So <laughs> it was very scary. Um it, mostly just because I didn't know what was going on with my body and I didn't know how to heal it. And so going to nutritional therapy, it was a huge thing for me because I started to understand how to eat food in ratio. So that means, you know, what your fat to your protein to your kind of vegetables and carbohydrates look like. And as a vegan, I was doing that completely wrong. And I had no idea that um, fats play such an essential part to your diet. And I was really getting none other than some avocado and coconut oil, but in, uh, you know, ratio to all the rest of the things I was eating, I was getting really nothing. So I don't have any issue with someone that wants to, you know, have more of a plant-based diet. Of course, I, I would say that Eileen and I are more plant-based, but, um, learning what my body needs and how nutrients are actually absorbed in my body was so monumental for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember learning about, um, we're always taught that carrots are super high in vitamin A, but the truth is they're high in beta carotene and your body has to convert that beta carotene into bioavailable vitamin A. 
but a lot of us have different capacities to make that conversion. And furthermore, a lot of us have pretty screwed up digestions because of processed foods. So it's like vegetables offer an incredible amount of phytonutrients that um, augment and support um, a diet that has good proteins and fats. But if your digestion is screwed up, you know, if you don't have good stomach acid or enzymes, then even if you are eating the most pristine diet, if you're not digesting it and absorbing it, then, you know, what's the point? I think I also started to learn about regenerative agriculture, and that was my biggest thing as eating plant-based, was that I thought that it was really harming the earth by what it was doing. And I think we can all agree here that monoculture of any kind is horrible for the earth. Yeah, exactly. Definitely not natural. And this was a good stepping stone for me to realize that, no, it's not about vilifying one food group, but instead learning how to be intentional with any food group that you're incorporating into your into your diet. I really appreciate the way that you guys just put that. Um, I know we've talked a little bit also kind of offline about um, how frustrating it is for to, to understand that there's this like there's so that's such a nuanced uh, topic. This like vegetarians, vegans, omnivores, which way to eat, paleo, keto, you know, like all of the <laughs> yeah, all of the different like ways to eat, and people get very um, um, like dogmatic about it. But um, I just really appreciate mm-hmm. the way that that you guys just explained that um, in both of your experiences. Um, I want to hear a little bit more, like what it's like actually being a nutritional therapist and like what does that mean and maybe also talk about from a client's perspective which I can actually also speak to as Eileen is my nutritional (laughs) therapist um kind of what the client experience is just in case anyone's listening who might benefit from nutritional therapy and they don't know about it for sure yeah that um that's a great question so um you know as as herbalist and nutritional therapist we we think we bring a little bit something special to the table because we do have this herbal knowledge that we like to incorporate with the the food and the lifestyle tips that nutritional therapy equipped us with. So um, we incorporate both into who we see and how we teach, um, but not to get super political, but also this is political. It is very hard for people like us, um, herbalists or health coaches or nutritional therapists, it's hard for people like us to practice in certain states, um, which is a shame because we serve a role that the world really needs right now more than ever. And a lot of these laws that um, that ban alternative health people from doing what they do, they haven't been updated since the 70s or 80s. And it really just takes you know a slight shift that I don't think anyone is against. You just have to you know, go through the process of changing laws. So it's hard. And there's, we're trying to get the word out because we're in the process of getting the laws changed um, here in Georgia. Yeah. And I think to just add to that, we don't want to take the place of a dietitian. We don't want to take a place of a nutritionist or anything like that. But we do want to help empower people to, you know, have their liberties and to choose how they want to be assisted through their own health journey. So talk to us a little bit about your supply chain for for the herbs. 
Absolutely. So that's another great question. And it was, in fact, the topic of my master's research. I graduated um, in December from UGA, go dogs, with a master's in agribusiness. And I was looking at um, the market demand for herbs in the Southeast because uh, Amy and I and other herbalists are quite familiar with the fact that there are not many farms in the United States compared to other countries that produce um herbs. And there's a reason for that, which, you know, herbalism has a gnarly past in the United States. But it's a shame because herbs are incredibly beneficial for pollinators. They are, a lot of them are essentially weeds, so they're really easy to grow. They remineralize the soil. A lot of them already grow. um, So they foster more of like a native local biome. But the supply chain, it's its pretty non-existent, to be honest. Um, we're trying to do what we can to um, spread the word and, and get farmers who are already baking, breaking their backs, growing vegetables to add, you know, add herbs to the list of things they grow because we have to be dependent on other countries at this point for large scale herbs. Um, just yeah. And I, I think to just add to that, there are people that are creating herbs and in their own backyards, which is awesome. Like we love that so much. And we, we really encourage that we try and source as much as we can locally. But when we start to talk about like an herbal medicine, uh, so we're talking about like extracts here, it is really expensive and really difficult to test these medicines. So for example, there are herbs that are, you know, really helpful. So I'm going to talk about Bacopa maybe. Um, where bacopa is grown in kind of like rice paddy areas or just it really needs a lot of moisture. It's kind of like a swamp plant and it sucks up a lot of heavy metals. And so what can happen is with the herbs, and I don't want to scare anyone away, but let's be real. I would love to give you know some light on that. But um, what happens is the bacopa will take the heavy metals out of the soil and now it's in the plant. And so you can test the bacopa or you have to test the bacopa to make sure that there's not, you know, arsenic and lead and, you know, high levels of metals that you don't want to be putting in your body. And specifically, we don't want to, as herbalists, be giving that to anyone without knowing our quality for sure. And so there are plenty of, or maybe not plenty, that's an over-exaggeration, but there are people that are growing herbs here in the United States that are dried and that are, you know, fresh herbs. But when we're looking for something that has some sort of testing or quality associated to it, it's really hard to find because herbal medicine just doesn't have the same spotlight as what it does in other countries, such Mm -hmm. as China or India. Mm -hmm. And it breaks our heart because we don't want to have to source from, you know, other countries. We want to keep it local as much as we can. And like I said, we do try to do that, but... um, when we also are thinking about our clients or just the people that are coming to us trusting that what we're giving them is going to be beneficial for them. We want to make sure that the companies that we're using are also reputable. Who does the testing? So a lot of companies in China actually will do testing and we've taken a lot of time to research companies that do that. So we only do this when we use extracts uh, versus, you know, our teas, which have, um, just loose leaf tea in them because extracts are so much more potent and uh, concentrated that at the same time, the levels of, you know, heavy metal and pesticides would be more, um, 
concentrated as well. So that's what we really value is in the extracts. So we do source a few from China and, and other reputable country or uh, sorry companies that are around the United States for several different mushroom powders. Um, and we try and go through you know frontier and mountain rose herbs as much as possible. But um, you know our fresh herbs we try to get in America. Mm-hmm. even more locally as possible. Are you seeing um, any disruption in your supply chain with the current COVID pandemic crisis? It's picked up a bit, but at first there was a several several weeks of delays um, in getting the extracts from these companies that we really love and trust and other in China. Um, but that the COVID definitely disrupted that for sure. Meanwhile, we were getting record sales because in times like these, people turn to turn to herbs, which is great. <laughs> but you were just saying that in in times like these, people want to turn to herbs and and all this talk about boosting your immune system because there's so much uncertainty around around the virus and exactly um, you know how it's transmitted and how it evolves. And so we're told that our best defense is our immune system. So people automatically, um, Mm -hmm. you know, they do a little Google search and they see the things that are good for your immune system or echinacea and elderberry and, and what else? So you, you have kind of, um, Mm -hmm. um, what is it sort of a, um, a trend of people wanting to go for immune boosting herbs. So, um, have you seen that? Mm-hmm. Have you seen that supplies just absolutely just be obliterated for, for the, the more familiar things? Yes. We were actually just talking about this. The um, elderberry has been out of stock for a while, but elderflower is still in stock, which isn't as popular, um, but it's way more antiviral and people just don't know about it as much. And in fact, the leaf is also, I think the level of antiviralness in elderberry goes from the root to the leaf to the flower to the berry. So the berry is actually the least antiviral component. Of course, you have to boil the leaves for a while before um, making them prepared for herbal medicine. But yes, I think just to address the the COVID virus, if I may. So this is a big deal and it's an eye-opener in a lot of ways. And immunity is exactly that. It's how we stay safe from virus and bacteria and what have you. But the truth is, is that the modern world is filled with so many stressors that our bodies are always reacting to, whether we're aware of it or not. And we can only handle so many stressors. Um, and when we reach our tipping point, our immunity gets gets so weakened or revved up that, you know, bad stuff can happen. And it's, it's a reason why autoimmunity is just rampant these days. Like autoimmunity conditions occur when people's stress response has just reached its wit's end and, you know, a condition like any of the millions of autoimmune conditions will happen. And so I think with the elderberry and the echinacea thing, both of those, they elicit an an immune response. Um, And if your body's immune system is already stretched pretty thin and you're just throwing immune boosting herbs at yourself and you don't really need it at the time. I think there is, I think there is some issue there. And I know y'all were talking previously about the cytokine storm. Um, The cytokine storm is basically your body throwing such 
an immune response because it's just overwhelmed with everything that's going on that your body essentially starts attacking itself. And so I think rather than focusing on what herbs are or aren't cytokine storms and getting in Facebook arguments over it, I think the real thing to do is look at the underlying issue of how do we not stress out the immune system. So we, Amy and I like to focus on like tonic herbs and nourishing herbs that aren't going to cause these crazy reactions, but are just going to serve as literal food sources for your immune system. Things like astragalus and um, certain adaptogens that are really nourishing and gentle and just calm you down in this hysterical time. The immune system comprises of many different components and you know everyone likes to look at herbs and of course we do too we love herbs but you know it also is found in the gut 80% of the immune system is in the gut and so you know a lot of people have been asking us about what kind of immune boosting herbs are good and and we really like immune modulating herbs so things like reishi is also a really good one that may be an adaptogen that Eileen was referring to um but it really it's about getting good uh, good food so whole foods that aren't processed, you know, everyone's talking about how they're drinking all the time right now. And I get it. You know, it's hard to be cooped up all the time. I got my glass of wine right now. <laughs> but, um, but if, you know, people are really interested in trying to avoid a cytokine storm or just really trying to boost their immune system, herbs are going to be such a good tool, but they're not going to be the only thing you know, you need to get some good sleep, you need to feed your body, nourish your immune system. And, um, you know, like Eileen was saying, try to mediate the stress. Um, I am curious on what y'all's stance is on like coffee, because I've been drinking, speaking of drinking a lot, been drinking a lot of coffee. And I know that there are some like really good, I mean, obviously coffee has its good and its bad um, just from an herbalist view, what is y'all's thoughts on it? And do you have any kind of like alternatives or like things to maybe help, um, you know, go along with your coffee that might make it a little bit easier in your adrenals? Yes. Coffee is my middle name. <laughs> no, it's I not. I'm drinking coffee right now. So yeah, coffee, it holds so, so much goodness for so many people. You know, it's not, it's not even just about what coffee is. It's like the ritual and the routine and the familiarity and the warmth that a lot of people cling to. And, you know, there are some clients where sometimes we do say you might need to back off from the caffeine, but all in all, we, we never want to make someone feel like they have to give up something they truly love. And especially something that's, you know, has its own medicine to it because coffee is basically just a decocted, um, a decoction really, um, decocting beans and water. But we, we are familiar with the fact that caffeine and other stimulants can um, stress irritating. out. Yeah. yeah, they can be irritating. They can stress out the adrenals over time. And the adrenals, if anyone's not familiar, are these tiny little organs that are responsible for pumping out all the stress responses, all the stress hormones that, you know, our body receives. So they're very, very important organs, but they get taxed quite easily. Um, so what Amy was saying, um, reishi is a, is a lovely adaptogen. It's a local adaptogen. It grows all throughout North America. And we have added um, the extracted form of reishi along with a handful of other adaptogen extracts and um, other yummy roots like dandelion and chicory that nourish the gut and some tasty blood sugar stabling 
stabilizing herbs like cinnamon and cardamom into a blend that you can put in your coffee because um, by putting those adrenal nourishing herbs into your coffee, you can kind of have your coffee and drink it too. <laughs> Amy, do you wanna do you wanna add on that? So rally was uh, something that we were creating as ourselves because we didn't want to give up coffee, even though you know we hear about how taxing coffee is to the adrenals, like Eileen was saying, but as herbalists, we really appreciate the coffee bean, right? It's also an herb, like she was also saying, and it is antioxidant and it does bring us a lot of joy, even if it's on like a soul spiritual level, right? I think we can all connect to that. Anyway, so Rally um, is really to enhance all the good things of coffee and to support the body through maybe some of the other stressors that coffee might give you. That's a, a, a product that you all make? Yes. Yes, ma'am. We actually won a, um entrepreneurial competition with that product. It's delicious, and it really complements all the warming and and grounding flavors of coffee. Where can we get it? I want some. You can find it on our website. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, you would love Rally Mary. Oh, I know what, and I know I need. I know I need to give my adrenals a break, and you know I need those blood sugar stabilers, and I I need that, so I'm going to get it. But I I do have a question about adding, um, you know, the herbs in the coffee. You know, I do that. I've been I've been putting reishi and cinnamon and stuff, but I'm just sprinkling it in the grounds. But when the water, you know, drips through, do you get the benefits of it? Like you're not, you know, it's it's like, yeah. Does that work? Yeah. So I think it depends on you know how the water is dripping through. If it's through like a like a French press or whatever, but if you're letting it steep for a while, so like. 20 minutes, which you might have some really strong coffee at that point. <laughs> but if you're letting it steep for a while, you're probably getting some medicinal benefits. But what Eileen and I tend to do is put the rally powder directly into our coffee. So it tastes slightly more chai flavor because of the cardamom and the cinnamon. Oh my gosh, that sounds so good. Yeah, I think just like what Amy said, a rule of thumb in herbalism is that if you're um, making medicine with a mushroom, a root, or a berry, you want to do a decoction, which is um, you'll bring the water to a boil and then reduce it to a simmer or take it totally off the, the burner and let it steep for at least 20 minutes. The longer, the better, because a lot of that medicine really is bound up in all of the, you know, the cell walls need to be broken before the medicine can seep out. But if you're dealing with more like delicate um, leaves or flowers, which is an infusion, you just need to let it steep, um, you know, 10 minutes max. But with mushrooms are unique in that they have a lot of water soluble and alcohol soluble medicines inside them. So that's why um, you might see if, if you're an herbalist or into herbal things, you might see some people have a mushroom listed as a double decoction. And that just means they boil the heck out of the the roots or the mushrooms, and then they tincture the heck out of those roots so that they're getting all the whole spectrum of components out of the plant. So a general rule of thumb with mushrooms is the more, the more you can let it slow cook or, 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 you know, boil or simmer away, the more medicine you're going to get out of it. In the event of of real food scarcity um for whatever reason and 
and we have all we're surrounded by all these things like like literally in our backyard um which thing would you go for which what would you look for the most in your backyard in case like they're like just say there's no food you really need something to eat what would it be i know what amy's gonna say nettle <laughs> you knew I was going to say that for sure. That was totally what I was going to say. Nettle. Yeah, tell them about nettle, Amy. Okay. How much time you got? <laughs> okay. Um, well, stinging nettle is, uh, man, a plant that I just go back to over and over again because I learn something new every single time from it. Um, but you were saying food scarcity and nettle is a very nourishing herb. It has the highest amount of iron found in the herb, and um, iron is essential for our body to function well. It helps with the immune system and is a cofactor for many other vitamins in order for them to be absorbed into the body. So um, along with that, nettle also is a light diuretic, so it helps to remove the toxins out of the body, and it also tones. So muscles that are slightly loose or um, maybe a bit waterlogged, it tones it up and it keeps your body um, running as smoothly as possible. So in time of great need, I would say nettle for sure. Also, as a fiber artist, I love nettle because you can create fiber from it and it grows like a weed. What? That's amazing. Nettle, like Amy's saying, it's highest known iron of like any plant that's been studied and also the highest known um, chlorophyll content. It's just super, super green and um, and delightful, but it was used to dye the clothes of soldiers in the Civil War. Oh, see, I didn't know that. It's like a dark green, grayish, greenish, grayish. I've never actually done it. I just read it in a really old school herbal book. Um, another fun fact about er, um, nettle that I just learned recently, since it is the allergy, allergy season is abounding, especially here in Athens, there's pollen on everything. Um, the freeze dried nettle, which is nettle that's preserved fresh or fresh nettle is one of the best, um, acute reliefs of like hay fever. If you're having a sneezing fit or just a lot of allergic reaction going on, the, the fresh nettle or the freeze-dried nettle is so useful because um, it contains formic acid. That's what gives it its stingingness. And the formic acid acts as an antihistamine, but the formic acid can get destroyed when you dry it. So um, if any of the listeners has, you know, bouts of sneezing or, or you know, itchy eyes, watery nose, they could get some capsules of freeze-dried nettle and pop, pop a serving every hour on the hour and the histamine response will go down. What's your favorite way to eat nettle? I, so this is kind of where bioindividuality comes in because Amy loves nettle and I love it too, but I cannot do nettle on its own. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's, it's a really drying plant. Um, and I tend to be a dry constitution. And so if I just have nettle by itself, I feel like very dried out. But I really love it in a pesto. So I'll mix it with other herbs. Like I like it with parsley and arugula and nettle with some walnuts or pine nuts and your lemon juice or tahini or whatever you want to add to it. So I like making sauces, just pureeing the heck out of it because it kills the stingers and it makes it palatable. Yeah, so I really love it in pesto as well because it's just an easy way to have lots of different 
herbs in there as well and to get all the nutrients, but I drink it just as a tea almost all of the time because it's so tasty to me. Yeah, I seldom see Amy without her nettle. Mm. <laughs> she my friend. <laughs> do you use the fresh nettle for your tea, Amy, or, or do you get use the dried? Do you just go out and get some nettle and make tea out of it, out of the yard? Yeah, no, my favorite way to – is you can do that 100%. I personally prefer to dry it, and then I store it, and then I find that it becomes a darker color. So like Eileen was saying with the dyeing of the clothes and also that it has a high chlorophyll content, if I dry the nettle and use that as my um, herb for the tea, then the water turns, gosh, almost like purple. It gets this very dark green blue color. It's a crazy color. It's it's almost like opaque. Um, but if I use fresh, oh, wow. then it's still like a very bright green color, which isn't isn't bad, obviously. But I think it just tastes a little heavier and more satiating with the dried. Well, I'm excited. I have an herb patch. I mean, I have a, a nettle patch out there, and um, I planted it last year. And nothing really came up. And then all of a sudden this year it's up. So it must, I don't know, it must take a couple of years to really take hold. Oh gosh, I hope that you have contained it because it'll take over if you let it. I also have a this plant that's covering almost every square inch of my property. It's the um, the glechoma, the ground ivy. Um, do y'all like that one? I find the, the smell of it is so fragrant and... Um intense that I've yet to venture much into making my own medicine with it. Although I do know it's aromatic and volatile oils hold a lot of um, medicinal benefit. Lini, what is your favorite herb? If it, if it was the apocalypse and we could only eat what's growing outside. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, mine would not be nettle. Mine would be, is, can this be like any herb or one that's like actually growing at my any. house? Any herb. Oh my gosh. Oh gosh. If you know of one that's going to be out in the yard, that that's better. I'm going to go with my gut. This is what my gut was telling me from the <laughs> moment you asked that question. Instead of getting all fancy, I would just go with rosemary because that plant grows so well in Athens and in a lot of the southeastern states. And it does so much for the whole body and it also tastes like one of the best tasting culinary herbs I think one would have in their cupboard. Um, rosemary is, so for me, um, I tend to hold multiple thoughts in my head at the same time. And when I get stressed, all the thoughts kind of blend together like a watercolor. And rosemary is a really powerful cerebral circulant. And so it cuts through brain fog and cuts through jumbled, messy thoughts with its, um, you know, with the, the blood flow and the nourishment that comes from all the blood and it gives, gives you clarity. Um, the ancient Romans and Greeks would wear the rosemary on their head to, to give them mental clarity because they would get little whiffs of the rosemary um, as they were wearing their crown. So I would probably pick that. It's also really antiviral, antibacterial. It's a good digestive. It's warming. So if you're someone with a cold digestion or prone to constipation, it can help um, warm the gut so that things flow the way they're meant to flow. So I would pick rosemary. 
I think I also remember that it's really good for uh, teeth, right? Like it's mm-hmm. it helps to fight gingivitis and it promotes yes. like a healthy oral. Um, yeah. Yes, absolutely. Chewing on a sprig of rosemary is a great um, – tightens inflamed gums or helps bleeding gums if you swish your mouth with a tincture of it. It's it's great for mouth health. Good good point. Does rosemary have a cute little flower on it, like a little purple flower? If it if – it, it, it does. Oh. Yeah. So really <laughs> just what you all need is to have nettle and rosemary. Yes. Yeah. And you have a power team. <laughs> yes. Those would be like our spirit plants, probably. <laughs> That's such a good question, Mom. What do you guys both, um, and yeah, like individually or as an herb girls entity, what do you guys most want people to understand about the work that you do? Yeah. Are you like, do you have your own podcast or something? <laughs> the thing that I want our customers and I guess anyone that we talk to to know about us is that we do the most that we can to bring intention back to ways that um, ways of living that bring vitality, that bring uh, sustainability, that are just high in integrity. And um, we found that incorporating methods of slow living and, and really being mindful about the way that we walk through the world will always come back to bring more health and more uh, healing, not only to ourselves, but also to our communities. And so, you know, we have tried to source our herbs as sustainably and as um, consciously as possible. All of our packaging is in 100% compostable in your backyard too, packaging. And um yeah, even our teas and our blends were made for for people to incorporate through any kind of season in their life. And so um, I guess our message out there is that if you can put the thought and time behind it, that it'll it'll come back to you fourfold. Yes, that was beautifully said. And I think what I would um, want our followers or customers to know is that we are all herbalists. This is how our ancestors for thousands and thousands of years healed themselves. It's where all of the pharmaceutical drugs came from, is from the planet. And I think a lot of times in our busy lives, we get caught up in being a bit detached from nature, but that is, detachment from nature is the true root of of any illness. And so I, I just hope that our legacy could be making herbalism accessible and normal and not this weird thing that hippie herb girls do. You know, we're all herbalists and um, we all need to take responsibility and initial initiative to take care of our health because it's all we have. And um, it's, it's one of the most beautiful gifts is to, to be well, but we have to work on it and we certainly have to treat the planet well if we want that end. Yes, I love it when you complete my answers. That was perfect. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, that's so beautiful and so empowering too to think about. So thank you for saying that because I think herbs can be really in- and herbalism can be really intimidating even for people because it's like mm-hmm. almost like another language, um, and it can be kind of scary because you know you don't want to eat the wrong thing, <laughs> mm-hmm. of course. <laughs> but um, of course well, not. Yeah, <laughs> I think you really um, you really hit the nail on the head there when you said that. Um, 
our disconnection with nature is the root of all illness, all dis-ease or disease, you know, things that make us not whole is, is this, um, this polarity or this duality that we've created, um, in our society and going, getting back to that and getting back to our connection and through our, for, through slow living, through all the, the things that encompass slow living, through getting in touch with the soil, through regenerating the soil, the good dirt, all these things um, are in are in the interest of wholeness and health. And I think moving forward uh, out of this health crisis we're experiencing on the planet, um, there'll be more and more awareness of that and consciousness of that. And um, it's maybe in the end, this is this is will have a healing impact on us. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And we're all capable of doing this. You know, it actually is in our DNA. It is the thing that we've been doing for generations. And it's only been recently that we've become more detached from it. And so although it is kind of intimidating and it is a little scary, um, it's within us 100%. And Amy and I are working on really awesome material to make herbalism very, very accessible to anyone who wants to learn. So well speaking of ladies where can people find you and where should we follow and where should we buy buckets of rally buckets of rally <laughs> thought you'd never ask <laughs> um yes so hopefully you'll put this on the show notes but we have a website where we pretty regularly update our blog um and we also have a, a store on that website and other resources and material and that is at herbgirlsathens.com we have an instagram account which is herbgirlsathens uh all one word um and yeah, we yeah that's probably where we have the most information and it's all free guys so it's free y'all yeah. can email us too um maybe you could add our email to the show notes if anyone had particular questions or sure you know on People any love that. any topic Bye, everyone. Say thank you. Bye. Thanks for all you do, lady farmers. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. We hope you enjoyed this really interesting episode with these two intelligent and articulate young women. And we really appreciate their knowledge and their ability to make it understandable and accessible to those that might not have the experience with different herbs and understand the magic and power of these, these plant allies. We'd love to hear from other herbalists and gar gardeners and farmers, anyone out working with the land, in the land. Uh, we know summer is a really busy time for you, but... Um, if you would like to be on the Good Dirt podcast, please email us at thegooddirtpodcast at gmail.com or if you know of someone who would be good to interview. Um, anyone working in the realm of sustainability, slow living, um, regenerative agriculture, sustainable fashion, we are just really excited to keep exploring these these fields with all of you. We have a lot of great episodes also coming up. And um, we are 
in the early stages of planning an online virtual lady farmer retreat so for this fall so keep your eyes peeled for that um if you aren't following us already we're on instagram at we are lady farmer and as i mentioned before you can reach the podcast directly at the podcast email the good dirt podcast at gmail.com anything else i'm forgetting nope i think that's it Thanks again, everybody, for joining us for our exploration of the good dirt. We'll see you next time. you like listening to the good dirt i hope you do because you're here listening to it and are you looking for more good dirt in your life and a community of slow living enthusiasts to connect with all while supporting your favorite sustainable living podcast well we're so excited to offer the almanac it's our private slow living community network where we share workshops activities articles essays recipes and so much more that align with our community's sustainable slow seasonal way of living as a member you'll have access to information sharing and discussions on numerous topics of interest through online threads and frequent live virtual gatherings Members receive access to a virtual community of hundreds of other slow living enthusiasts, as well as Almanac exclusive events, workshops, recipes, playlists, online gatherings, and a book club. We offer seasonal activities and ongoing discussions on a variety of topics to guide you on your slow living journey. Also included is 10% off the Lady Farmer Marketplace year-round, numerous resources and more, and discounted Lady Farmer events, including the slow living retreat as a good dirt listener we are excited to offer you 20 percent off your monthly membership and three months free which is basically an entire season if you sign up for the year so go ahead and go to ladyfarmer.com community to sign up with this special offer just for good dirt listeners yay that's ladyfarmer.com community to sign up for 20% off a monthly membership of the Almanac for three months free if you sign up for an entire year. That's ladyfarmer.com community. <laughs>